Well, good morning. Um, my name is Dan Olson, and I get the honor of preaching this morning. I was hoping to pick a national holiday when they were going to be off gone, but here you are. So God bless you. Um, uh, yeah, our topic today is Christ Church. So I'm excited to share it. It's something I love. It's something I think about a lot. Um, my plan today, our, our text will be Ephesians. Um, I know we preached on Ephesians, kept preaching on it like a year ago. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of mostly look at the book again and just kind of see what we can learn about the church. And I'd, I, my aim is that we grow in our appreciation uh, for the church, our love for the church. Um, I recognize that by doing more of a topic, um, is, as I'm picking a verse here, verse there, th- there's more danger f- for me as far as um, using God's word well. So please listen carefully. Keep me accountable if I'm not using the text right. Um, so as we talk about the church, I know it's a, I know it's a topic that is uh, divisive. I know there's a lot of people that really have been hurt by the church. Um, churches have messed up. It, we, it, the church is not without guilt. Um, scandals, abuse, division, uh, denominations, judging, hypocrisy. People feel neglected by the church, angry, misled, confused. So while I'm talking today about how wonderful the church is, I recognize that it's not anything that we can come into proudly. We need to come with humility. We need to always be aware that we're uh, we have feet of clay. We, we can mess up too. And if, if we are in the wrong at any time, uh, it's up to us to repent, to, to confess our wrongs. Earlier this week, um, my daughter Anna couldn't sleep one night. And so I was with her and then, um, I thought, you know, how can I get her to fall asleep with that? I, I know. I'll talk about my sermon. So if, if that doesn't put her to sleep, you know, it's like easy right there. Uh, and so I started by saying, hey, Anna, I'm going to talk about the church on Sunday. What's, what, how do you def- what is the church? How do you define the church? I'm thinking to just say some, well, a nice building or whatever. And her answer to me was, uh, it's God's people coming together to worship him. Wow, preach it, keep talking. Uh, so, and before you think, oh, I mean, I, I thought, oh, I must have done a good job raising this girl, right? Or uh, before you give me too much credit, or my wife, I'm like, how did you get that? She's like, well, it's from Phil Vischer, some, some shows on YouTube or something she watched. I'm like, okay, well, okay. So anyway, praise God. So yeah, I, I think she nailed it. Um, the, the church is the community of God's people. It can be at a different level. It can be a local church universal church, that gather to worship him. Uh, the church is a worshiping assembly before God. Yesterday it was a lot of fun being over there at the barn, staining and carrying and working together. And it's fun driving by 173 looking at uh, the, the building being erected over there. But we all know that the church is not wood. The church is not bricks and stone. Right? The church is the people. We are the church, whether we're meeting here or in a school, or in a hut, wherever a church is meeting, it's not the building, it's the people. Uh, one reason I love the church is that it's not bound right, by a location. It's not just here. Uh, it's not bound by what we see. There's the, the, the visible church that we can see, but God sees the invisible church. He knows all that are His. It's not bound by time, right? We're the church now, but we're following the footsteps of the church that has existed uh, for uh, centuries. Um, the church isn't bound by language. The church isn't bound by time zone. 
Also, the church is it's a taste of heaven. When you think about uh, what we'll be doing in heaven, it will be gathered, assembled, worshiping God. So, and many cultures and languages and all that. So it's a taste of heaven being together, worshiping God. So I want to pause this morning and just help us kind of turn the dial up a little bit on our love for the church, appreciation of the church. So my, my statement this morning for us is that God treasures the church, and we show our love for God as we love his church. So I'd like to, to communicate that God treasures the church, and we show our love for him as we love his church. And we show our love for him. So and, uh, Paul wrote, he had um, done missionary journeys. On his missionary journeys, he'd been to Ephesus and planted a church. And so now years later, he's in prison, and he's writing the people in Ephesus to encourage them. Um, and so we, we'll be jumping around a bunch of different texts within uh, Ephesians. The main two parts of the morning is, as we look in Ephesians, what do we see is Christ's role in the church? What is it that Christ does or who is he? What is he for the church? And this is the other side of that coin is, what's the church's role? So what does Christ do? What does the church do? That's the main topic. It should be quick. Um, so I'm going to start in uh, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So at the end of chapter 1, Paul writes, God placed all things under his feet, being Christ's feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the first image we see of Christ in the church is he's the head. Okay? Um, he, con- he controls everything. He rules, he guides, he sustains. He's the center of it all. Without the head, of course, there, there is no life, no body. And in this particular verse, it's, it's following up the verse before. It talked about the great power he has. So he's the head. He rules, and he rules with power. Kent Hughes writes, um, in, in looking at the, that uh, Christ, that everything is under Christ, um, earlier in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, it says God placed all things under his feet. It says he'll bring unity to all things. So all redeemed souls, all the universe, all the angelic hosts, literally everything in heaven and earth, material, spiritual, everything within, without, above, and below, will be united in Christ and will be under Christ, the head. So the first image we see of Christ, he's the head. He's supreme over all. Um, moving along, we see in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, 22, that he's the cornerstone. Let me read it for you. It says, Consequently, you are no longer, you being the Gentiles, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, you're no longer outsiders, but now you're fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we see that Christ is the chief cornerstone. First uh, Peter 2 uh, is a similar um, topic. I'm, I'm going to read a couple of verses, First Peter 2, 4 to 7, where Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. In Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, 
And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. To you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He's the foundation. He determines the stability of the church. The church is built on him. Um, you don't, I know, when you're building, whether you're using uh, just foundation curtain or the chief cornerstone, which is used uh, in other building types, um, you don't adjust the cornerstone. If there's something going on with the building, right, you adjust the, whatever else it is. The cornerstone is set and everything adjusts to it, right? Christ is our cornerstone and we adjust to him. We are built on him. Um, seeing him as our cornerstone reminds us that he's foundation, that we're secure in him. Uh, the church through history has been attacked and persecuted many times. And uh, I, I like a line by Theodore Beza back in the 15 1600s. And speaking of the church being attacked, but knowing that Christ is our cornerstone, he says, remember that the church is an anvil, which has worn out many hammers. When we're attacked, we know Christ is our cornerstone. He will, he will sustain us. Another thing that Christ is, Christ's role in the church is that he gives gifts. Uh, in chapter 4, verses 7 and 11. So it says there, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And moving on to verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So Christ gives gifts. Another role of his, he gives gifts. Um, how does he give them to us? It says he apportions them with intentionality. He, so each of us has been given a gift by God, our spiritual gift. Why did he give us his gift? Not so people look at us and say, wow, what a great speaker, what a great whatever it is they might be. He gave us gifts so that we could use them to build up the body. Moving along, 5.23, another role that it said of Christ. And as we do the chapter 5 verses today, let's just stay laser-focused. Our topic is the church. I'm not going to get in any trouble with my wife. Um, so let's just focus on the church here and Christ's role. So 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So again, it says he's, he, uh, uh, the church is his body and he's the Savior. So often we think of Jesus being my Savior. I, I, when I was a kid, I gave my life to Jesus to follow him, to have him forgive me of all my sins. And he, he is my Savior, but he's also the Savior of the church collective. So another role of his. And then right with that, along with being a Savior, he's also the bridegroom, verses 25 to 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So we see Christ is like a, a husband getting married. He, he's the bridegroom. We see his love and tenderness and care and faithfulness and devotion for the church. The church is dear to him. He gave himself for her. He loved her. He made her holy. He washed her. And he will present her radiant without blemish. 
So we look at this list of Christ is for the He's the Savior. It, it, church is not just like a John Piper's summary, just kind of list of all it is that Christ has done for the church. He writes, Christ fills the universe with his glory by showing the universe his body. How he chose her, he destined her, he came for her, he taught her, and suffered for her, and died for her. He rose for her, he reigns for her, he called her, justified her, cleansed her, he kept her, and he will raise her and glorify her and satisfy her forever and ever with himself. There's there's such high images God uses for the church. that it, It is such a big deal. So again, my purpose this morning is to, to just bring to our attention that God treasures the church and we can show our love for God as we love what he loves, the church. The other side of the coin is, well, what's the church's role? Okay. We see Christ's role in those ways in Ephesians. And now let's move in, what's our role as the church? And I'm, I'll be repeating a lot of those same passages, kind of just focusing on the other side of it. So again, uh, back in 123, which we read a little bit ago, Read it again. Um, I'll I'll do 22 and 23. Uh, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we as the church are his body and his fullness. The idea of being a body is is repeated uh, many times in Ephesians and being one in Christ and loving one another. So we as a church are a body. Uh, we're united with each other. We're united with Christ. Right? And members of one body, we all need each other. It, it really speaks to the interdependence. Right? Uh, we are a body as a unit, and we are the body of Christ. Um, I was certainly intrigued, and I still don't have it fully. You can ask Cabot if you've got questions later. But th- this verse where it says, um, His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. I'm like, what, what is that? Um, I think it has a lot to do with completion. The head and the body, we complete the body. It's also a matter of Christ isn't here on earth anymore physically. He was here. He's resurrected in heaven. So we, the church, are his representative. We are his body. We complete the head here. So we represent him. Um, God means to fill the universe with the glory of his Son by putting the church on display as the embodiment of his Son. Uh, again, the same phrase is used, the fullness phrase is used in 4, uh, 11 to 13, where it says God gave gifts to equip his people to build up the body, to reach unity, so we would attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's kind of a whole cycle. He gave gifts to equip the body, to build up, uh, to have unity, to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we are his body, we are his fullness. It's a big role. Uh, Next, we see in uh, 2.19 again, we see we're his household. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In those days when Paul's writing to Gentiles, it was a really new thing. There's a lot of tension. These Gentiles now, it's understanding for the outside. God's people are citizens. But it goes beyond just saying we're citizens. It says uh, the church is Christ's household. We're family. Okay? Um, and it's a good reminder when we come to church that we don't, 
We don't, uh, you know, Monday to Friday we might have our role as a teacher, as a doctor, whatever it might be. We come to church, we're a family, we're his house. We're brothers and sisters at church. We don't need to worry about our other hats. Here we are as a family. We're united in, as one. And then in, in uh, 2, verse 22, right there, um, it says, And in, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling where he lives by his spirit. So we're his body and fullness, we're his household, and we're a place for a spirit to dwell. We're a dwelling place for him. So it's a, it's a challenge for me. You know, does God dwell with us? Are we walking in the light? Are we loving others? Uh, it says he wants to dwell with us. Next couple of things, um, 3, 7, 11, it talks about how the church is a stage for God's wisdom. So let me read 3, 7, 11. Paul writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers, authorities, in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, so talk about his manifold wisdom. His many colors, like an intricately embroidered pattern. Many-sided. Reminds me of 1 Peter 1. It, it, it says that his manifold wisdom will be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church. It's the church that is being watched. We're on stage. The angels, demons are watching the church to see God's wisdom. So it's a big role for us. We play a big role. Uh, angels are watching us. First Peter 1 talks about even angels long to look into these things. They're watching history unfold. They're seeing, wow, what is God doing? How does he bring unity to all of this? So they, they see... So we are a stage for God's wisdom when we meet as the church. We need to recognize and revere the immense centrality of the church. Kent Hughes writes, The church has an immense responsibility to be a pocket of reconciliation and peace in an alienated world. It's, it's our role as a church to be reconcilers, to, to uh, be united. As the angels watch and see, God's bringing all these people, different backgrounds, different views, all this under, under one place. So the church is a place where uh, the spiritual realm see God's wisdom. Next, we're also a platform for God's glory. And for that one, on the next slide, I'm going to look at a verse we probably have heard plenty. I think there's some good songs from this verse. Uh, 3, 20, 21, where uh, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we within us, Love this verse. Not this verse. If we take away all the extra parts of this sentence, kind of a rambling sentence, what if you take away all the parts? What's the core of the sentence? What's the center of the sentence? Right? And so I, I, I would submit to you that the center of the sentence is those four words, to him be glory. That's the main part of the sentence. That's, that's the thrust of it, to him be glory. And then along with that, it's like in any time you're investigating and you want to learn more about something, you have to ask your questions. Who, what, where, when, why, how? And they're all just sitting right there for us. So the center is, to him be glory. Well, who? 
to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, which is what we saw God's power described in chapter 1. And then the how or the why, I'm not sure which one, both. Um, uh, to him be glory according to his power that's at work within us. And then the where of God's glory. He picks two places, in the church and in Christ Jesus. So, you know, could have said other things. He says the church, to be glory in the church. So we're a stage, we're a platform to show God's glory. And the when, throughout all generations, forever and ever. So we see that we are a platform for God's glory, a a stage for his wisdom. And then we're going to go over to chapter 5 again carefully. And we're going to see the church's role there, 5 verse 24. And it's, uh, it's in 24 reads, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Okay? So, um, the, uh, this, this passage says so many things that Christ does. He loves her, gave himself up for her, washes her, all this. There's not much descri- description of, as far as what the church does. One thing it says the church submits. So our role as a body is we submit. We, we don't follow our own ideas. We don't make our own rules. We submit to Christ. Okay? And that's certainly um, responsibility for the pastor and the elders of the church. When we meet, we meet, need to, when we plan, we always need to know we are submitting to Christ. Christ says it, we're submitting. Okay? So we see, uh, we see the many roles that Ephesians talks about uh, for what the church is. Church is Christ's body. We're his household. We're a dwelling place for his spirit. We're a stage for his wisdom, a platform for his glory. We're his bride. The church really is a divine human enterprise. It's God's doing, it's our doing uh, together. I think it's easy for a church to become routine, right? You, Sunday, show up, go to church, sing some songs, uh, stay awake for a sermon, and then you're on with your day. Right? It's very easy just to you know, kind of let it be a step in your day, right? And I'm certainly guilty of that as all. But we see here the centrality of the church in God's eyes. I, I don't think there's a lot of place for us to have a casual view of the church. Say, oh, well, this, this church or that, or be half-hearted devotion. And it's certainly, um, I, I, I don't want you to hear that I'm saying anything about Lifespring Community Church. I love this church. I've had been so blessed to be part of this church for 11, 12 years. It's been absolutely a joy Right? But I don't for a second say that we have things figured out at this particular local congregation. We've got our mistakes. We've got our issues. We, we miss things plenty. Right? But whether you are a part of Lifespring or a part of another church, wherever you are, God's church is sacred to him. It's his treasure. And we, we can't be careless with his church. His church is t- too wonderful for that. He treasures the church and we show our love for him as we love his church. Um, I said I'm preaching from Ephesians today, right? Um, but I just thought, it, let's say I was preaching from other places. I, I would have to stop at least these four. You, you can read and look into them more. I just want to mention uh, some other uh, scriptures uh, that talk about the church. Revelations 21, verse 2, gives a picture. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's what John writes, where he sees the, the church coming down. He sees the bride. So it's one thing in Ephesians to 
described as a bride, but in Revelation, he sees the bride coming down. So we're the bride there. First Timothy 3.15 says, The church is God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So we are, uh, we are a body. We are called to love and serve. And we are also a pillar of the truth. We need to stay faithful to God's word. It's faithful to the truth. Acts 20, verse 28, just another wording that, yes, Christ died to save each one of us individually, but it's also the church that he bought. Where um, Luke writes in Acts 20, he says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So the church was bought at a high price, the, the, the blood of, of, of God's Son. And then as we read earlier this morning, uh, very, very probably well-known verse in, in Matthew, where Jesus, he's been doing all these miracles for his disciples. They've seen him all the time, and so he stops and says, hey, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus responds, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So we're reminded that Christ, along with the cornerstone, he's also the builder. He says, I will build my church. So we're a part of Christ's mission to build his church. All right. um, in closing, there's a lot of ways to kind of go with as we apply this. I have six up here. I'm sure you could shorten it or lengthen it. It's, uh, but, but these are kind of the six that came to mind. As we see, again, my purpose is just for you to hear the message that uh, God loves the church and we show our love for Him as we love the church. Again, I know that church is complicated. That I know that real hurt happens in the church. It's not just so simple just to say, well, go to church. And, right? So I, I know that the church is, messes up, but God loves the church as we've seen and, and it is our duty to, to be committed, to be devoted. So number one, we need to love God's church. We need to hold it in high regard, defend it, all right? And we also need to support and encourage any, any church that is a true church of God that's preaching the gospel, right? That's, that's uh, following God's word. We need to support them. We're not competing with other churches, right? Afterthought, gifts. We need each other just like the Bible, right? We need each other. Each of us has a role, has a gift, we need to know, know what our gift is. We need to use it. Right? God didn't give us gifts just so we could uh, talk about them or whatever. He gave us gifts so that we would use them to build each other up. We need each other. We need to be faithful to God's church, to his household. We need to be connected and use them. And if you don't know your gifts, you can read. There are a few lists in Scripture of what the, the spiritual gifts are. You read through it and just think about it. You can ask someone, right? ask a spouse, ask a friend, and say, hey, what do you think my gifts are? Maybe often other people can see better than you can see what your gifts are. There's also the option of just trying. Right? You don't know what your gift is? Well, try something. See what a need is in church. See what's needed, what's, what, where the, the, what's lacking. Say, all right, I'll step in. Maybe it'll be great. Um, or maybe not. doesn't stop me. Um, next, you need to, uh, um, and this isn't in the text directly at all, but I just think that it's a call for us to honor those who serve the church. right? God loves the church so much that as we see people faithful to the church, it's our, it's our call in Scripture in, in plenty of places 
to honor them. Um, I have been blessed to be with Cabot uh, for 11, 12 years and just have a debt of gratitude to him for his faithful leading and giving up so much over and over and has been um, kind of attacked often and, and uh, he, he takes a lot of heat when he, that he often doesn't need, right? So it's our, it's our role to bless him, to honor him, to encourage him, to support him and any, and any leaders in the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 is a good reminder. It says to give double honor to those who, whose work is in the church. Another thing uh, that we can apply here is to remember our identity. Okay? It's so easy to come to church right, and just kind of pat ourselves on the back. You're like, back if I, may, I went to church, it's, it's fine, right? But we can't let it be routine. We can't um, just uh, check it off, right? We need to, we need to remember what a what, a high, what high stakes there are, that we are the stage for God. We are his body. We are his bride. Um, Adam Naismith writes, Every time your local church gathers, it's an unrepeatable, unique day God sovereignly ordained for the praise of his glory and for your good. Savor every time you get the chance. And then another um, way we can kind of follow up from this is to guard the unity of the church and be reconcilers, seek reconciliation. Right? Um, fight for the church. Don't, um, don't just kind of carelessly say, well, I don't like that church, and just, just go. It, 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 there's a healthiness to church shopping and, and knowing where you fit, where, where, where healthy churches that you can attend, right? But when you find it, uh, you need to be on board. You need to guard the unity of that church and, and be, be faithful, be devoted to it. Um, I like our Life-saving constitution, um, in, in part of the section, talks about members, okay? formal members of the church, and what their, what their duties are, what their role is. I just like the wording of it. Um, it says members, attenders can do the same thing, will strive to guard the unity of the church by being slow to take offense, quick to forgive, careful in speech, as well as never allowing matters of personal easy for this for people to be slow to personal taste, uh, be, be a uh, basis of division in the church. And then last thing, just maybe it's all of them, but we just need to invest in the church. I, I love the parable of the talents where Jesus talks about um, some, some owner that's leaving his household and he leaves money with the different people. This person gets 10, this gets 5, and 1. He comes back and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? you know, did you invest it? Did you, did you do the most with what I gave you? Or did you just sit on it and do nothing with it? Right? We need to invest. We need to know what God's given us and we need to do our best. So when, when we stand before God, he says, I gave you all these abilities. Did you use them for my church did, or did you just sit on them? Right? So I think we, we need to see where our abilities are and we need to use them. I don't know. There's a lot of different paths that we can go and in life and distractions, a lot of ways we can spend our time, a lot of ways we can spend our money and our talents. There's a lot of different things that want our attention are great, good things, right? But we need to make sure that we're giving the best of our time, talents, and treasure to God, that we're investing in the church. We don't want to waste our life. Bill Hybels uh, writes in his book, Courageous Leadership, he writes, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. 
its potential is unlimited. The church comforts the grieving, it heals the broken in the context of community, it builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions and frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and for wholeness. The potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing comes even close. So let's... Uh, Let's uh, be reminded today that God treasures His church and we can show our love for Him as we love and serve the church. Let me close in prayer. God, thank You for this morning. Thanks for Your uh, great love for us. Thanks, God, for all the ways we see You uh, leading the church and uh, sacrificing for the church and being our rock. Lord, we pray that You will help LifeSpring to be faithful, that we will not uh, be worldly, that we will not be um, wasting our resources and time, but w that we will be intentional, uh, that we will be your people. We pray, God, that we will be a city on a hill here in Spring Grove, that we will be known for our good deeds, for humility, our truth, our love. We pray, God, that you will help us to be faithful to you. We pray that your spirit will do, that, do the work in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.